we could list 20 facts about Heavenly Father, but do we know him? And when we know him as the person who is crazy about us, devoted to us, loves us, cherishes us, and I mean, you know, Emily, how when there's somebody who really values you, you know that they could know terrible things about you and then say, yeah, 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 but that's not the real you. That's not who you are. That's not what you are. You are a child of light. Hello, and welcome back to Dr. Wally, A Fresh View on Gospel Living. We are excited to be back for season two, and we're here to tell you about Dr. Wally's newest book called Discoveries, Essential Truths for Relationships. It comes out July 15th. It's actually on pre-order right now on desertbook.com, and also you can get it on Amazon. So I hope you enjoy this conversation about his new book, Discoveries. Okay. I think we're live. Great. Wally, it's so good to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. Great to visit. Okay, so we were just chatting before we pushed record. Your Discoveries book is coming out. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's coming out in July. And so I want to hear more about that. I want to hear what the book is about and how we can get a hold of it. All that good stuff. Great, great. So I think the foundation of the book is a simple idea. And the idea is that research has taught us some amazing things. And for the last 30 plus years, uh, you know, I've been a professor in human development and there are amazing discoveries being made. But the other part is we, we um, Christians and Latter-day Saints tend to look to the Lord for the ultimate authority, for guidance on, on key issues. And, and we often see those two arenas as unrelated. And um, I don't. I see them as, as richly interconnected and very harmonious. It's kind of like a great duet, two parts that sing together. Or another way to think about it is, um, I think the research of all these brilliant people thinking and studying and, and gathering data on what works and what doesn't work, they get us asking far better questions. And the Lord's always had the final answer, the best answers. And so what I try to do in the book Discoveries is say, um, how do we bring those two together? What's a, what are the best discoveries from from the gospel of Jesus Christ and from what research has found. And um, in so many cases, they're fully harmonious and they just add so much to each other. And in other cases, one takes the stronger voice. There are areas where really the gospel just has the answers. And, and then other cases where research has explored things that aren't really obvious in scripture. So hmm. the book takes about 60 different ideas in three different areas, the personal well-being area, you know, how to be a happy, balanced, productive human being. The second area is couple relationships, how to, how to be, how to get along with another person and have a joyous, meaningful relationship. And the third area is um, parenting. And um, if anybody's got parenting figured out, then they don't need the book. But um, <laughs> Well, my answer to that is, I think as soon as, like, I, I think I have some glimpse that maybe I'm starting to possibly figure out parenting with one child, <laughs> then it, it changes. They hit a new milestone or my other child is, is coming to the table with something different. So I can... 
<laughs> confidently raise my hand that I certainly will need your book. So I'm I'm curious, can we back up a little bit and can you tell what what brought you to wanting to write this book? I guess maybe oddly enough, uh, it's retirement. I mean, <laughs> as I can as I conclude a career, I think, wow, did I all learn all that just just for my own edification? Um, it, is this stuff that I found so powerful, should it be set on a shelf and forgotten? And uh, I, I'm not happy with that. I, so I, I tried to write a series of articles on the things that I've discovered that, um, that I think are the most important things to know to be successful in relationships. So all the articles are, there's three main areas that you just named, the personal well-being, marriage, and parenting. And all of these shorter articles fit into one of those three topics. Yes. So it sounds like a book that like someone could pick up, a busy mom, say. Let's just say a mom that has a toddler that's maybe, <laughs> I don't know, two and a half years old. <laughs> yeah, for example. Maybe, for example. And and maybe she's short on time, but maybe she could pick up a book like this and, and read an article in a, in a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So it's broken into short pieces within, um, I mean, the, the publisher put it in somewhat larger chapters, but these short pieces within the chapter so that it's uh, very, um, very digestible. Uh, it's not one of those uh, long philosophical books, but, but very practical. Cool. I love it. I love the practicality. And, and to me, you know, I don't know about anyone else listening, but to me, when it's kind of those small little bites, it, it's more actionable for me because I don't get up in my head of like, oh, I just read this 400 page book and there's all these intricate things I need to put in play. It's like this one piece I'm going to go put into action right now today. I'm going to, you know, experiment with this. So I, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about the each of the three categories, the personal well-being. Could we start there? Could you share a little bit? Sure. So there are just a few broad areas in the personal well-being. Like, for instance, one is savoring, savoring the, the present, noticing, enjoying, celebrating, appreciating. Some of these things we've talked about in previous podcasts, but I, I guess some of us are, are multi-channel learners. We like hearing it, but then we like to be able to see it in print where we can study it and highlight some things and think about how we'll apply it and even scribble some notes in the margins. So, so the, the book will provide the detail about that savoring idea. How do, we, how do we become more aware? What are there some different ways that we can uh, really capture and be blessed by the accumulation of good things in our lives? And I think usually it's pretty random. You know, a good thing hits and we enjoy it for about 15 minutes and then we move on to the next misery. <laughs> And um, we, we aren't, as humans, very good at really um, inventorying our blessings, at really keeping track of the big picture. So that's, that's the, the first one. A second is to really think about our past in a different way, to look at our past not as um, a mess or a tragedy, but think of it as a learning experience and really extract from it those great experiences that have been been most developmental, most productive, most uh, enlarging, and um, 
sometimes, I, I don't know if you do this, Emily. Let me do a little test here. Sometimes I'll be going along in a normal day, quite busy in my activity, and then there'll be this little flashback of when I did something incredibly stupid. <laughs> and, and I just almost flush, you know. I just think, oh, man, what is wrong with me? And, and I don't know how to explain it. I don't, I, haven't, I don't have the data to say whether everybody does that or not. I know I do it. And I think people who are pretty sensitive and conscientious do it. And we just feel so bad about mistakes we've made. And if we're not careful, they kind of accumulate and we start to think, oh, man, I think I'm setting records for being one of the stupidest humans on the planet. Now, you would you might guess that that does not predict well-being. It doesn't lead to growth. It leads to right. discouragement. And so the book has ideas for how to deal with that kind of thing so that we we use the past as a springboard for growth and happiness. Mm, I really, really appreciate that because, well, I'm one of those people too. So maybe you and I are the only two <laughs> in the planet, but I have absolutely 100% done that more in my life than I can count. Um, and so I love this idea of it being a springboard or I just read this quote this last week, someone, and I don't remember exactly the wording, but it really, it really resonated with me. And it was something like, you know, if we all just like focus on this quote baggage that we bring instead of looking at it like a stepping stool, like, okay, I'm going to stack my, my suitcases up of all the, the, the difficult challenges and experiences that I've had in life. And yeah, I'm going to use that to bring myself higher. Yeah. Yeah. Should we, should we take some time here and talk about our 20 most embarrassing moments? <laughs> our most, let's go beyond that. Let's go to our most humiliating experiences, oh shall we? You know, Jefferson Singer has a book called Memories That Matter. Mm. And his suggestion is, is to go back through your life history and find those, those kind of, shall we say the stones that glow, the, the places that, you know, maybe they were painful at the time, but Something really good came of it. You learned something, you grew, you you created a relationship or an understanding. And and go through your life and and tally those, inventory those. And and of course, he suggests you start with five. So naturally I've got about 120. <laughs> naturally. <laughs> because when I started doing that, when I said, okay, I'm gonna look at the different eras of my life. And for me, it's easy to think about eras in terms of the house we lived in. So there's a chapter in the book when when I grew up as a child in in Granger, Utah, and and I can start listening. What do you remember, Wally? I remember I remember these great experiences with my dad, where my dad would stack bales of hay to make forts for me and my brother, and and it just feels so magical to me. And and you start going through each era, and and you start listing them, and pretty soon you have a pretty substantial list of these, well, these stones that glow and light up your life and and point direction in your journey. And I really love, I love that idea, memories that matter. And, and uh, what Singer says is that our identity is, is fully a function of what we've chosen to remember from our past. Mm. And so if what we're doing is is just really stockpiling all of those embarrassing moments, then we feel and are very fragile, very um, very weak and and powerless. Where, whereas if we think about all the times God showed up and loved us or sent someone to love us or 
where we learned something or where we contributed. Wow. It starts to feel like maybe it all means something. And maybe maybe God can do something with us and maybe he can use us and maybe he loves us. And anyway, so so that's that's one of the ideas. That there's there's another time orientation, of course. There's the savoring the present, there's there's the cherishing the past, but there's also looking forward to the future. And and looking forward to the future is is really um, optimism. It's many many of us live in fear. And and there's another great book that I really really love, and and it's about the science of fear. And Gardner t- in that book talks about the idea that many of us live with a, a a nagging sense of dread. What if this happens? What if I become terminally ill? What if my child gets hit by a car? What if an asteroid lands lands in the backyard? And and the media literally feed that frenzy, that frenzy of fear, and uh, that they know the mass media know that um, by by feeding our fears, they really get our attention. Because we're wired to notice those things that are threatening, mm-hmm. it's why we. It's one of the reasons we survive is because we notice the threats around us. But when when we're fed a pretty steady diet of, oh man, yeah, there's there's an asteroid headed our way and it is big enough to destroy the whole Earth, or we're about to uh, lose our position in the economic uh, world, or or how about a virus, you know, a virus that can kill people? Or, mm-hmm. And, and when, when our field of view is filled with nothing but dread, it doesn't lead to flourishing. That makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and Wally, it, it has me thinking, um, and I don't know if, if this is talked about at all in, in this book. I, I feel like I've, I've read in others of your books where this is, is, this is maybe addressed. But I'm curious about to kind of go back um, to rewind just a little bit, and and um, you kind of mentioned if if we identify so much with our with our moments of of uh, difficulty, if we're if we become so kind of entrenched mm-hmm. in those moments, or like I don't know, stuck in those moments, we like really identify. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe I'll speak for myself here. I know, you know, looking at my past, there's moments that I have really just deeply identified with like, oh, this happened to me. And so I am a person who X, Y, Z, um, and that that becomes kind of my identity. And mm-hmm. so this process of like disidentification from those moments, you know, I'll just say, you know, in our work together, one of the things that I really feel like um, you've offered to me has been such like a gentle um, compassion that has helped that process happen mm. because I think, you know, I could tell myself, well, Emily, you know, cognitively, I know in my head, you are not that thing that happened to you or you are not that moment, but it's so hard as humans and, and you having, you know, all, all that you know about human development. Can you, can you share with us anything around how the gospel meets up with that? Like, I don't know if that's a clear question, but I feel like that process of disidentification, there's something there around the compassion that I know you and I have talked about before. And I'm wondering if the human development side, what, what, what can you share about that? You know, wow, that's, (laughs) that's a complex question. 
Yeah, it's a great question. It, it actually deserves a podcast all its own. But so often what we know is we, we could list 20 facts about Heavenly Father. But do we know him? And when we know him as the person who is literally crazy about us, devoted to us, loves us, cherishes us. And I mean, you know, Emily, how when there's somebody who really values you, you know that they could know terrible things about you and they'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the real you. That's not who you are. That's not what you are. You are a child of light. And I see that. And no amount of overburden will keep me from seeing who you really are. So when we move from knowing about God to knowing him and accepting his profound love for us, that really changes things. Plus, he then gives us a principle that I think is, wow, one of the most powerful in Scripture, section 50, he says, that which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness. That which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Until that perfect day, to which I would add, that perfect day when we are in his arms and all is right with the universe. What a day. What a day when we're surrounded by all the people who ever loved us and we're in his arms. Wow. Who can describe that? So so what do we do about all those thoughts and worries that bedevil us? I think we turn to God and and turn to him in a relationship. And and I don't know if the same is true for you. I resisted God's love, oh, for 35 years, 36, 7 years, something like that, because I I knew that I did stupid things and often chose to. I did them on purpose. I sometimes was unkind just to watch my brother squirm or, you know, I and I thought, well, okay, I know he loves everybody but me because I know how stupid I am and what what bad choices I make. And and it's only maybe in at least spiritual maturity that we finally say, yeah, yeah, Father's no dummy. He knows that you do bad things. He knows that. It does not change the fact that he loves me as much as more than I ever loved anybody. I look at my grandchildren and, and love them and each of them says and does dumb things. It doesn't change anything. I love him. And, and he is the perfect father who sees us behind all of the mistakes we make. Mm. I, wow, I really appreciate that. There's a couple things that you said that jumped out at me. And I don't, I don't want to like jump ahead because we're talking about the personal well-being part right now. But I'm just thinking about the some of the times where I have been at my I've been pushed to my edge in parenting. So often it's because my kids are maybe doing something that I have done or it's like a trigger. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes when I get caught in my own, you know, with my own imperfection and like and getting stuck there, it's because I forget that God is not the kind of parent that I am. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, oh, he, you know, God must be so angry with me right now or all those thoughts. And it's like, well, that might be how you parent in that moment, Emily. But, but that's what came to my mind when you were sharing that, how, how I can become so identified with my own humanness and my own imperfection. And I forget that what you shared, like when we really know the nature of God and we know God, that that relationship comes first. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Emily, I think one of the effects of aging for me has been I'm trying to learn to be deliberately, intentionally, and resolutely loving towards, especially those for whom I have a stewardship, my family, but other people in general. And and um, and I think about how far ahead of me Heavenly Father is. I mean, eternities ahead. And I think, wow, Wally, lean into his love. Feel it. Enjoy the safety, the peace, the goodness, the renewing that comes from that. So, yeah, I mean, here we are running about frantically, worried about all kinds of things. And if we remember that we are in God's hands and um, nothing can happen to us in any circumstance, that he cannot turn into a blessing. And when we remember that, um, it brings a kind of peace that doesn't come in any other way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What a blessing when we get, get that part right, when we really, and, and you can see how all the parts fit together. When we've accepted his love, it's so much easier for us to offer love to a spouse who, like us, is a human, and to children who are struggling and learning. I mean, <laughs> there really is a brilliance to God's plan we, we have a peer-like partner, a spouse who, who makes us crazy in one way and children who make us crazy in another. <laughs> and he says, the only way really to deal with all this is to become like me. There just isn't any other way. You can try all kinds of techniques and you can read all kinds of books, but in the end, you really have to have the divine nature, the that way of seeing that holiness of you that changes everything. Yeah. As, as I've heard you say before, getting our hearts right, that really yeah. is the key piece. Cause I mean, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in school right now. I'm like trying to learn about, you know, a lot of these things and, and how to help families and, and couples. And um, just like you said, we can try all the techniques, but if, if our hearts aren't right, it kind of doesn't matter. It becomes almost a way of objectifying our partner or our, our, you know, our spouse or our child. If we're like acting on them or doing something um, rather than just being, having our heart in, in a, in a, in a open, um, compassionate, loving, mm. you know, Christ-like place that, that it just becomes, people can feel acted upon. <laughs> I, I went to a workshop once, Emily, where um, one of the great gurus of compassionate uh, relationships was teaching, uh, teaching us how to show that to each other. And the person who was attempting to show that to me was doing it in such a, it felt so insincere that what it really drew out of me was a kind of rebelliousness. I, I, I'm not proud of that, but, but it didn't feel real. It didn't feel true. And, and I think the same thing is true with our spouses and our children. When, when our hearts aren't right, when we're not acting out of genuine appreciation and love, 
But when, you know, when, when, um, now I'll set a context for this. Right now in our house, we have eight of our grandchildren visiting. <laughs> and it's so much fun. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good. It gives, gives real depth to this discussion. And, and when one of them does something that you think, that's maybe not the best thing to do, but, but you say, and I sure love you. And, and, and when we get our hearts right, then the right thing will come out of us. Uh, and it will come out easily and gladly. And it might be, it might have a little element of, oh man, that probably won't turn out very well for you. But it won't be in the spirit of injury. It'll be in the spirit of lifting. And um, so, so I guess I'm feeling it pretty keenly right now because I went and played basketball this morning with um, with uh, five of the grandsons, and and, we, and I just love those those kids, and they're sweet kids who are fully human, and we have a great time together. And you know, we had uh, two glasses of spilled water at breakfast, and you know, it's it's the normal life, and you. And I guess the advantage of advanced age is you say, you know what, I can be mellow. I don't have to, I don't have to act as if this were the most uh, serious tragedy in decades. I can just say, say, oh, hey, you want to grab the towel over there? We'll take care of this, and and it, and it doesn't even ruffle any feathers. So anyway, that's. You can think about how um, that kind of attitude, we were filled with that kind of grace and happiness. It's just so much easier to do all the things that we need to do, including get along with ourselves as well as get along with other family members. There are a couple more in the in the personal well-being area, like, for instance, knowing and using our, our gifts, knowing what what our gifts are, and then finding a way, designing our lives to use those gifts. That is one of the keys to happiness. And, and, and of course, the distortion of that is when we don't know our gifts and we try to do things that are not well suited for us, when we're so determined to be like so-and-so and we force ourselves or push ourselves to do something that's not natural, not, that we're not well designed for. Maybe we admire someone and wish we were like them and we try to become them and we don't do it very well. And another is um, fairly predictably is serving. It turns out that when we take some part of our bandwidth and dedicate it to helping other people, just a neighbor who's struggling, uh, a friend who's lonely or whatever it is, you know, I, I admire God so much because you can be walking along through life and all of a sudden a name comes to mind and you think, huh, I wonder how they're doing. And in today's world, it's easy to send them a text or an email or call them and say, I'm just thinking about you. How are you doing? And, and God happens to be a remarkable manager. He knows what all of his children need. And he's quite glad to work with any of us who are willing to reach out to them, and, and it is so satisfying when God chooses us to bless one of his children. And so when it comes to personal well-being, those are, those are the keys. Those are the things that um, are well-established by science, 
and completely compatible with Scripture, fully in line with God's recommendations. So um, that's kind of a summary of the personal well-being area. Awesome. Excited to read that section of the book. And then, and then moving into what's the next section? So next are a couple of relationships. And, um, and I, I would suggest that, that that section applies also to friendships. It applies to relationships with our, with our uh, siblings, but, but also the language and the focus of that section is getting along in marriage. And, um, you know, um, a lot of things we are sure are true about marriage turn out to be mistaken. Uh, uh, one of my favorite examples is uh, if, if you were to survey what gets done in the way of strengthening marriages, both books and workshops, the commonest intervention is probably some communication workshop. And um, the, only, the only problem with that is it, um, it doesn't work. If if our hearts stay the same, then learning to say certain words doesn't change the outcome. It turns out that uh, what matters most is the condition of our hearts, whether we're gracious and loving, whether we're forgiving, or whether we're being um, Pharisees, just picking on everything that we think is imperfect about our spouse. And I think we've talked before about um, Sandra Murray's work on um, positive illusions strongest relationships, partners see qualities in each other that nobody else sees, even their closest lifelong friends and family members. And um, so Murray calls them positive illusions, but I just suspect that in a healthy relationship, maybe we start to have a revelation. Maybe we start to see what God sees in our partner. And when we do, it changes things. It changes everything. So the intervention that I recommend is not learning how to make perfect I statements, but rather how to um, fill our hearts with with God and graciousness. And uh, I and, and I I should confess right off the bat that that there's enough Pharisee in me that that's a battle. That it's really easy to want to correct my spouse's grammar or syntax. And oh my, really? That's what marriage is about? Is getting the grammar right? And and I guess grammar may have dropped out as a priority for me, but but I would say um, the little choices that that a partner makes um, can become a major irritation, especially when we dwell on them and truly make mountains out of molehills. So. Um, so many things in marriage, like um, like in the personal well-being, there are five broad areas, and then in parenting also about five broad areas, each of them with a bunch of short pieces that shares an idea of how to be more effective. So, so you know, Emily, a person might even look at the table of contents and say, you know what, I am really wanting some help in this area. And so you go to that section and you read that section. Because they all are interrelated, but each of us has certain challenges that are more prominent at different times in our lives. So I hope it's helpful. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, any anything else that you'd you'd like to share with listeners? Um, you know, I I think just the the overview is that when we bring God to all our relationships, when we bring Him 
to our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our partners, our relationships with our children. Wow, it is surprising how satisfying that is. That um, really the key to happiness, the key to well-being is uh, letting God reign, letting him preside in our lives, letting, letting him be in charge. And when, when we do that, those relationships just flourish. The book comes out in July? Yeah, July 15th is when it's supposed to be in Deseret Bookstores. And uh, of course, it'll be, it'll be available for pre-purchase on uh, DeseretBook.com and, and soon thereafter on Amazon.com. Thank you, Wally. Yeah, great to talk to you, Emily. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Wally, A Fresh View on Gospel Living. 